0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. Welcome to 2023. I can't believe it's here already. Uh, it, I'm not surprised there's a few more people here at the 11 o'clock service than at the 9 o'clock service. I'm sure a lot of you guys, how many of you guys actually stayed up till uh, midnight last night? Pacific Standard Time. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to be uh, watching you all service, see if you fall asleep or not. I, of course, partied hard all night and uh, haven't even gone to bed yet, so I'm. Uh, Today, if you guys would turn in your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 2, we're right now on a little break uh, on our study of the book of Galatians, uh, which we'll pick up next week with uh, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, if you want to read ahead. Uh, But uh, today, I want to talk to you uh, and give you a message about how to read the Bible, how to read the Bible Uh, January 1st, uh, marking a new year, is a day that a lot of Christians uh, historically have committed or recommitted themselves to some type of Bible reading plan or structure. I remember back in the day, we used to hand out little uh, card stock uh, Bible reading plans at the beginning of the year, and those were always a little bit terrifying because they had the dates on them, you know, printed out. And uh, you had to keep going, you know, and if there was ever a day or two or three that you uh, didn't get around to reading the Bible, they just sort of piled up on you and you'd kind of turn to the next thing. Okay, it's February 8th and I haven't read since February 5th. I've got 13 chapters I need to read today to catch up on. Things are a lot easier now today. We have our Bible Bible. Uh, reading apps, like the Bible app itself, you can just pick a Bible reading plan, and if you biff for a few days, you can say, restart today, and it'll <laughs> recalculate all of it for you and give you the grace that you need. Um, so there's nothing magical about January 1st, um, but uh, Pastor Jeff mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I know for me, I would love to see every person in this church read their Bible uh, in a dedicated fashion, and probably for most of us, more than we already do. And so I thought it'd be helpful today to talk about how to read the Bible and try to give you some uh, suggestions to help you in your uh, reading of God's word. Uh, I'm not gonna exposit the text that I wanna read to you today, but I just wanna read to you just one of what could have been hundreds of passages in the Bible highlighting the benefits of being a regular faithful Bible reader. Uh, the book of Proverbs, for context, is written mostly from a wise king to his up and coming son, who will one day have the massive responsibility of being the king of Israel. And so he's imparting wisdom to this younger man to try to prepare him for that future day. So let's read this proverb together. He says, My son, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Four, verse six, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then verse nine, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul discretion will watch over you understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways so verse 16 you will be delivered from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you, verse 20, will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Father, we come to you this morning having just read just one chapter in your book, asking Lord that you would help us to be a people of the book, a people of the word, rooted, in it, that it would be rooted in us. Father, thank you for giving us such a witness. Thank you for testifying to us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us this holy book. There's nothing like it, it you say it's alive and it feels, Lord, to so many of us that that's exactly what it is, living and powerful sharper than a double-edged sword. But, Lord, we need your help to enter into it. We need your help to be disciplined, to interact with it. And so, Lord, we pray today that this little message would be helpful to that end, but we just want to start by praising you for giving it to us, Lord. Thank you for the privilege and the freedom to every single week come together publicly and open up this holy book and read it and discern what you're saying to us from it. We pray that that would be a template for us of our everyday life and experience. So we pray these things, Lord, by the power of your spirit in the the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Well, one of my uh, favorite figures in church history uh, was an Englishman during the time of the Reformation named William Tyndale. Uh, William Tyndale had a singular mission in his life as a Christian. What he wanted more than anything was for the, an English translation of the Bible to circulate throughout England. The, the problem was the Roman Catholic Church at that time had gained control of the country, and the king of England had said, no, you're, that, that's illegal. There can be no English Translation. There can be no uh, Bible in the language of the common man. It has to stay in Latin. And therefore, William Tyndale felt the Bible is inaccessible. People need to be able to read the Bible. We're, we're now living in the age of the printing press. This reformation is occurring. And so I want people to discover God's word. So he dedicated his life to that mission. And it was a tough mission for him to embrace. One of the first things he had to do was to become a master of three languages he did not previously know. He became a master in Latin, he became a master of also the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew. And after doing that, he then went through the painstaking process, of course without computers and all of that, of hand uh, in translating uh, various books of the Bible. And when he would complete portions or uh, an entire New Testament, uh, he would have to find underground printing presses that would take on the project. And at great expense, he would produce copies of the New Testament, sometimes smuggling them into England. Uh, There were times where he would work for a decade or so on a fresh translation of the Bible and his work would be stolen or burnt in a fire and Tyndale would just start all over again. That's how passionately he believed in this project, how badly he wanted people to have access to God's word. Eventually, uh, because of persecution, he had to flee the country and was in hiding. But eventually the king of England um, said that he would be willing to let Tyndale come home. Uh, He'd be willing to forgive Tyndale. He'd be willing not to uh, prosecute him in any way. Uh, But Tyndale from afar said, I'll come back on one condition. He said, I'll never write another word. I'll never do any more work. I'll, I'll never talk about Christ again as long as you allow there to be an English translation of the Bible in England, and when the king would not allow that at that time, uh, Tyndale remained in refuge as a refugee until eventually he was captured and tortured and died being burnt at the stake. And I tell his story because I want us to have at least some sense that The ability to read the Bible in our mother tongue is a massive gift from God. It's a great privilege. In fact, if we just think about it, many studies throughout the course of human history or in other parts of the world today called how to read the Bible, in many places and in many cultures and in many times, the first point would have to be, first, learn how to read. Isn't it a privilege for us that that's, for most of us, not even a thought that we have? What a blessing that we've grown and lived in places that have given us that gift, that ability to be able to interact with the pages of Scripture. It's come to us at great cost, and it is a great blessing and privilege to be able to read the words of eternal life. Now, our reading today here from Proverbs 2 Like I said earlier, it could have been from hundreds of other passages of scripture that extol a life that is centered upon the wisdom of God's word. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, that kind of life, lives that are uh, depicted as creatures of the word, they are always heralded as a life well lived. And this section of Proverbs is no exception. It affirms that concept. In the first handful of verses, it tells us that the person who receives and treasures the commandments and wisdom of God, who incline their hearts and their ears and uh, to understand its wisdom, it says that they will enjoy an abundant and good life. It goes on to say that to value the word Uh, like you would value the most precious metal or the most precious gems or the greatest wealth on earth, that that will lead you, it says, to a life of knowledge and understanding and soundness and integrity and victory and discretion and deliverance. Uh, To rejoice in, the proverb tells us and to submit to the word leads you to the paths of life in verse 19 and 20. And it says at the very end of the proverb that if you center your life upon the wisdom of God, you'll not be cut off from God's blessings, but will be, uh, remain and be rooted within them. And this is the typical way, a, t- a typical way for the Bible to encourage us to read the Bible. In fact, you're really not gonna find verses in the Bible that say, here's some advice, read the Bible. It really never says to read it. Instead, it says, devote yourself to it, sell out for it, discover it, fuss over it, celebrate it, meditate upon it, seek it like the most sacred treasure on earth, Today, Buy it, do anything you can to gain the knowledge of it. Let it be the master guide of your life because it's the very word of God. All right, so it's never gonna say, just read it. (laughs) It's got a higher bar for us as God's people. Reading it is good, but God wants us to dive in and swim in his word. Now, uh, I don't want you to expect, though, that because it's God's word and because we're to meditate upon it, I don't want you to have this expectation that you're going to have rapturous joy every single minute or moment that you spend trying to interact with the Bible, every moment of your Bible reading life. In fact, I'm nervous giving this message that I've lost a lot of you already because you are saying to yourself, you know, I've already tried this. (laughs) I've already tried to be a Bible reader and it really didn't work for me. And I don't know what conclusion you've come to as a result of that frustration. Maybe you've decided internally and maybe you won't even say this out loud, but you feel that there's some error in the Bible. It's too stiff, it's too long, it's too winding, it's too confusing, it's too far removed from modern life, you might say. Or maybe on the flip side, you've come to the conclusion, not that there's something wrong with the Bible, but that there must be something wrong with you. That you're too distractible that you're too undisciplined, uh, that you're too unknowledgeable. I just don't know enough to understand the Bible or to get much out of it, or that you're too busy. It's not possible for me to have any time to read the Bible. I've just got too much going on in my life. Uh, But what I want to try to show you today is that I think there's hope for all of us to have this be a major component of our lives. So I don't wanna paint an overly rosy picture of what it will be like, it will take work, it will take discipline, that'll be one of the things I talk about in a moment. But I also don't want to make the error on the other side of making it sound as if it is always a hard and drudgerous experience. Sometimes pastors are tempted to do this kind of thing, like I wanna be relatable, so what I'm gonna say to you is like, hey, I don't like reading the Bible just like you don't like reading the Bible, you know, or something like that. And what I'll say is, there are times for me where it is a laborious process to get up in the morning and dedicate myself to a portion of time reading and meditating upon God's Word. But in general, I have found incredible solace and comfort and guidance and love and peace and direction and wisdom and rebuke from my personal time in the Word of God. I spend a lot of my life uh, studying the Bible, you know, to preach it, to write about it, to communicate it, and I can tell you this, the time that I spend doing that looks nothing like my personal time in the Word. My personal time in the Word is me with my Bible open and a notepad and just going through it, having a couple of bookmarks in it and just moving forward in the Old and New Testament so that I can hear from the word of the Lord. It's been an incredible cornerstone in my life. So what I wanna offer you today are eight suggestions that come out of my own life and experience on how to read the Bible. If eight sounds like a lot, you should know that I started with 20. So (laughs) I've had to condense it a little bit. All right, so the first thing I wanna say, how to read the Bible, I would say it like this. How to read the Bible, number one, by listening by listening. In fact, uh, if I'm being honest, I really don't even agree with the title of my sermon today. I really don't want you to know how to merely read the Bible. Here's why. When, When I read a book, I'm in charge. I'm the one who decides when to pick it up. I'm the one who decides when to open it. When I read a book, I am the initiator. And that is not at all what is happening with the word of God. Every time you open up the Bible, you are not the initiator. You are not the first mover or the prime mover. You are responding to a God who made the first move and the God who decided to speak. And so our job, when we do open it, is to listen to God as he is communicating himself to us. When reading the Bible, we're not alone because God is alive, God is aware, God is paying attention to whether we hear him or not. In fact, I can't even silence the Bible by closing it because God cannot be silenced. Now, I think that it's easier to read the Bible than it is to listen to the Bible. I'll try to illustrate this by way of example. At the end of a long day, when I come home uh, to my house, um, I might be sitting on my couch. Maybe I've got my phone out or a book, and I'm just kind of you know, let's say I'm scrolling through. I'm checking out sports scores and the recent news, and I'm just kind of all over the place. No plan, but I'm just, I'm reading lots of information. I'm definitely in charge. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. But let's imagine that Christina had something really serious that happened in her life that day, and she needed to talk to me about it. She's been waiting for a moment for us to be able to sit face-to-face to talk, And in that moment, I'll tell you what is easier to do. It's much easier to read what's on my phone than it is for me to turn my attention to her and to listen to what she has to say to me. I think that's why a lot of us prefer to merely read the word rather than listen to God in the word of God. So when you approach the Bible, that's the first thing I want to tell you. This is something that we need, to, we need to listen. We need to be listening to God. The second thing that I want to say to encourage you in your Bible reading is read the Bible with humility. Read the Bible with humility. Um, I almost didn't even want to put this point in the teaching because my belief personally is that without humility, a person won't read the Bible. And with humility, they probably will be motivated to read the Bible. You see, what humility says is, I have need. What humility says is, I am incomplete. What humility says is, I don't have the right perspective on everything. I don't see all my blind spots. I have gaps in the way that I'm seeing the world and current events and friends and family and even my own self. So because I'm poor in spirit, to borrow the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 verse three, and because God has the wealth of spirit that I need, I'm driven to the word so that I can get what I need. That's the kind of humility that I'm talking about. Conversely, a proud spirit, someone who says, my perspective's spot on and I see myself correctly at all times. And when someone has a knit to pick about my character or the way that I do things, uh, they are off. The problem is with them. That kind of person who is not humble but prideful that person won't have the same drive to approach the word of God because what, what's the need? What, what do I need to receive from it? What, what do I need to get out of it? Why would I need God to speak to me? So I think this is an important ingredient for, for really reading the Bible well. Number two, humility. Here's the third thing though that I would say. When you read the Bible, number three, consider it the real world, consider it the real world. Let, let me explain what I mean. Sometimes on uh, Sundays, you know, we get together and, uh, you know, here we are. We're having a great time together. We, we sing some songs together. We, we pray a little bit together. We open up scripture and read it together. We uh, listen to a sermon together. We, we serve together. We give together. We do all these things. And then uh, sometimes, and we'll, we'll even say this to each other, we might be getting ready to leave the church property and, and uh, ready to go out about our everyday business, and, and we might quip to each other, well, time to go back to the real world. Time to go back to the real world. And what we mean by that is, you know, this was, this was nice. <laughs> you know, it was sweet, and, and uh, that, was a, that was a nice little sermon, and it was great to sing some songs together, but this is, this is not the real world. <laughs> The real world is what I'm gonna to have to do on Monday. Uh, the, the real world is my, the issues awaiting me at, at my home. You know, the, the real world is the pressure I'm feeling in my bank account today. You know, that, that's, that's the real world. Thank you, you know, pastor, for the, the, the brief escape from the real world, but now I've got to get back to it. And what I want you to know is that the world as God sees it, The truth is God lays it out. Reality as spoken by God historically through prophets and kings and apostles, that is the real world. Our normal way of seeing the world, our normal way of operating, our normal way of being driven and thinking this is what we're shooting for and what we're striving for, that is the fake world. When we enter into the world of the Bible, we're entering into something that is truer than our daily experience. Behind this world that we're in that's filled with economics and politics and physical desires is the true spiritual dimension. And God is there with principalities and powers. And when you enter into the world of the Bible, you enter into the real world. It's like you're getting a peak behind the curtain. You know, so you're asking a question, what, what makes us do what we do? Well, there's what people would answer that with. There's what culture would answer that with. And then there's what the Bible says about why we do what we do. What satisfies a human heart? Well, there's what we say. This is what I need to be satisfied. This is what the world says I need to be satisfied. But then there's what the Bible says will actually satisfy you. Or what makes the nations rage? What's with all the chaos and tumult? There's what we think, there's what the world thinks, and then there's what the Bible actually says. It's the real world. So when you're in the word personally, I want you to have that perspective, like this is really cool. If you're starting out your day this way, I want you to say to yourself, this is really cool. I'm getting a glimpse into reality for a few minutes. Before I go out into all this where people are deluded and masked and confused and blinded, I get to see the truth. How beautiful. All right, The fourth thing, though, that I want to say, and like I said, I'll remind you, I've got eight today. So the fourth thing is uh, I'd encourage you to read the Bible with patience. You've got to read the Bible with patience. Uh, patience with yourself and patience as well with with the Lord, with God. There will be hard days when you're reading the Bible and committing to it every day of your life. Um, If you're anticipating Bible reading being as exciting as reading a Harry Potter novel, it's not going to be like that. It's not a page turner. You know, sometimes people will talk to me about the Bible like, I mean, what is with, like, I'm just reading, and then there's like these genealogies and lists of people, you know? And I get that, you know? I, it's, not the, it's not the most fascinating reading. It's not highly entertaining, you know? There's no Netflix crew out there that's like, man, we gotta do a special on numbers three, you know? <laughs> I get that. But hey, I'm, I'm super thankful for them. Just pause and think about them. First of all, aren't you happy that you're reading an actual historical book? That's part of what those lists say to us. We're not reading a fairy tale. We're reading something real, with real human beings. Are you happy that it communicates that there's a God who knows the names of his people, that keeps a record, that keeps a book? Are, aren't you happy that it communicates to us that when you serve God, because that's what so many of those lists are, is records of his servants, that when you serve God, God notices forever, Aren't you happy to see those kinds of things? So yeah, you might have a hard time pronouncing a few Hebrew names, but celebrate that God is a record-keeping God. But there will be hard days as you're reading through the Bible. At times you won't understand what you're reading. And listen to me now, I think that when those times come where you don't understand what you're reading, I think in one sense that is a test of the human heart. The question is, will I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Will I love God? And w- So if when I'm reading what God has said, I'm deterred because for a few days I don't totally understand exactly what I'm reading, will I abandon him in his word? No, it's, it's kind of a test. Keep going. There's gold in them hills. There's water in that ground. Keep digging. Keep moving. It's a, it's a test in a sense. Now, as you're trying to, you know, patiently read the Bible, I'd encourage you to also be patient or maybe gracious is the word I would use concerning the amount of Bible that you're going to commit to reading uh, each day. You know, reading the Bible through in a year is, is great. It's a noble venture, but a lot of people find that really difficult. They find that pace really hard to maintain. For 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 me, my preference, you know, I know there's lots of cool Bible reading uh, schedules out there. The F260 plan on the Bible app is a nice one because you read the Bible for five days and then there's like two days to catch up on whatever you didn't finish during those five days. That's nice. It doesn't take you through every chapter of the Bible, but definitely the major portions of Scripture you're going to, to hit. So that's a great plan for someone who's first introduced to the Bible. But for me, I'm old school. I just do the same thing pretty much every single time. I just put a bookmark in Matthew and I put a bookmark in Genesis, and I just read both simultaneously. I read a chapter in the New Testament and two or three chapters in the Old Testament each morning, and that gets me done with the Old and New Testament at right about the same time. If I'm done with the Old Testament a little earlier, then I just read the, finish the New Testament. If I'm done with the New a little earlier, then I just finish reading the Old Testament, and then I start in Genesis one and Matthew chapter one all over again. And at that pace, I can read the Bible in about a year. I find for me, it takes me usually a little over a year, maybe 14, 15 months on average. I've had times where I've been really aggressive, and there have been probably three or four times I've read the Bible in like three to six months because I just wanted to have like a big, just large-scale view, and then other times where it took me a couple of years to read through the Bible. But set a reasonable, patient pace for yourself. Uh, But this leads me to the fifth thing I would say about reading the Bible. I'd say you you have to read the Bible with discipline, number five, with discipline. Uh, It it will take a measure of discipline to commit to this practice in your life. Uh, My encouragement is to set a non-negotiable portion of every single day aside for this practice in your life. Uh, for, for me, I've long held the view that, for me, the way it works best is it's got to be the first part of my day. It's got to be the very first thing that I do after I get a cup of coffee each morning. And uh, part of that is conviction. In the Old Testament, they gave God the first fruits. Uh, they gave the God, God the, the first of their tithe or their money. They gave God the first bread born they gave God the first and so for me it's a way to give God the first of my day I found that you know whenever I would try to do my Bible reading at the end of the day it just didn't really work for me some people say I just love to like wind down my day it's like preparing for the next day uh, before I go to bed I read the Bible if I read my Bible at that time I just go to bed uh, that's what happens if I'm there in my bed especially with my Bible open it's like I'm asleep it's great I just I'm knocked out but that's that's not the time that I needed to, to spend time in the Word. So for me, it's always been first thing uh, each day. But I'd encourage you to set that rhythm, to make that commitment. Um, Part of discipline, I think, is as you're reading it, you might want to have a way to catalog different things that you notice, different prayers that you want to pray that stem from what you're reading, different things that God is speaking to you. I've never been one who is writing a huge diatribe about God or you know, uh, emptying out all my thoughts you know, about a passage. It's just for me like a sentence or a statement every now and then as I'm reading through uh, the scripture. But I find that discipline helps me to see some of the things that God is speaking to me. And some of you, to have this measure of discipline in your life, you actually might need a group that helps you to stay on track. Uh, some people in our church like to be part of a discipleship group or a growth group where two or three people each week are gathering together. And one of the major components of those meetings is to talk about what you read in the scripture in the previous week. Uh, the little group I'm in, we like to call it our MVP. We talk. One of the things we talk about is our MVP from the previous week. It stands for Most Valuable Passage. So what was it that we read the last week that really resonated with our hearts? that spoke to us, that drove us, that encouraged us, that rebuked us, whatever it might be from the previous week. And maybe for you, having a meeting like that will help you gain the discipline to stay on track. Okay, the sixth thing I wanna say though about reading the Bible is that you have to, you have to read the Bible with trust, number six, with trust. What, what I mean by this is you, you really have to trust God as you're reading through the Bible. I, I think, it, here's what I mean by this. If the Bible's organization and content matter was up to us, it would look a lot different than it does. I mean, for instance, I think if, if, if modern evangelical Western churches wrote the Bible, <laughs> uh, I think probably 40 or 50% of it would have to do with marriage and family. And God seems happy to say, you know, I got like a handful of chapters about that, handful of verses about that, but you know what's gonna be really good for your marriage and your family? Holiness, not sinning, being forgiven, dealing with guilt and shame. Like these are things that are gonna bleed out into the rest of your life. So yeah, I've got some comments, about what marriage should look like, what family should look like, but that's not the thing I'm just gonna focus on because there's deeper issues at play. That's what I mean by trusting God. You gotta trust his organization. You gotta trust that he knew exactly what he was doing when he put it together in the way that he did. And you gotta trust that he knows what we need to hear better than we know what we need to hear. The Bible isn't like a podcast store that you just go to saying to yourself, what would I like to hear about? What what, what am I interested in? No, the Bible's not like that. God has said what he's interested in and we're to go to it and to say, God, what do you have to say to me? So trust God as you're reading through the word. Okay, seventh, I would say, we also need to read the Bible with our minds. So read with your mind. As I said earlier, Jesus said, uh, quoting from Deuteronomy, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, We should not be approaching the Bible in a mindless fashion. Uh, You've probably been guilty of this before. I know I have kind of taking out the Bible and uh, treating it in a real mystical kind of way. Just saying like, Man, I really need God to speak to me right now. I need wisdom about this or that. And then kind of doing one of these where you're just like flipping through and like Vroom. I mean, you gotta be careful what you wish for with some of the verses that are in this thing. That's not the way that you read the Bible. I mean, in a sense, teaching on how to read the Bible, I could have had a point that said, uh, like, word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, book by book. That's how you read the Bible. Uh, but it's interesting. With the Bible, somehow we get this sense like, oh, it's just, it's different. So I don't need to read it in order. And I can just, like, point to any random verse and just have it, like, And obviously there's incredible truth in it that will resonate with your heart, but God communicated it in a linear fashion. So, uh, you know, use your mind and move through the various books of the Bible. And as you do, I'd encourage you to ask questions about the passages that you're reading. Uh, These notes that I'm preaching from today are at my uh, website, nateholdridge.com, so you can see all of these questions. But ask questions like, what does this passage tell me about God? Uh, Is there anything in this passage that I need to obey? Has God made a promise or a vow in this passage that I need to believe? Are there any attitudes or perspectives in this passage that I should put on? What do I learn of Christ and his redemptive plan from this passage? Are there any prayers in this passage that I can pray today? Are there any admirable habits in this passage that I need to ask the Spirit to help me grow into? What do I see of Christ-like character in this passage? And how might the Spirit want, want to grow me into that image? Those are just some of the questions that you can ask of really every passage of the Bible. As you're using your mind to read the Bible, I'd encourage you for each book of the Bible that you're reading, especially if you're new to the Bible, I'd encourage you to read a short introduction to each book of the Bible. If you buy a decent study Bible, the the English Standard Version has a great study Bible, at the beginning of each book of the Bible will be probably like a one-page hot sheet that gives you the context and the background to that particular book of the Bible. And I, I, I guarantee you, it will make so much more sense uh, by just getting into a little bit of that background material before you begin reading the Word. It will help you with the important question in reading the Bible that we should all ask of, what did this mean to the original hearers of this passage? You should ask that first before asking, what does it mean? to me. And on top of maybe having a good study Bible that can help you with a little bit of background, I would encourage, I mean, the Proverbs talk about buying knowledge and buying wisdom. I'd encourage all of you to buy at least one decent commentary set. What a commentary is, is just like it sounds. It's comments on the Bible. So it's, and they're organized just like the Bible. So you turn to Genesis chapter one, verse one in your Bible, you turn to Genesis chapter one, verse one in the commentary. It would have the verse there, along with comments about that verse from scholars explaining a little background of that passage of scripture. Um, One that I recommend is in my notes, but it's called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It's by the scholars at Dallas Theological Seminary, and it's a great beginning kind of volume, Old and New Testament to have on your shelf when there's a question that comes up in God's Word. And on top of that, we can also use our minds by using the various online resources that people have created for us. The Bible Project, uh, EnduringWord.com will probably answer most of the questions that you have. That's a commentary through the whole Bible. Even my own site has thousands of hours of audio and video teaching about and through uh, various passages of Scripture. Okay, but let me close with one last thing that we should do in reading the Bible. You must read the Bible through the cross, through the lens of the cross, through the lens of Jesus Christ. Where in the passage that you're reading do you see Jesus? Who in the passage that you're reading reminds you of Jesus? What problems in the passage does Jesus solve? How are the promises or predictions of the passage fulfilled in Jesus? This is an important way to read the Bible. It's tempting to read the Bible as if it's a book all about us, but it really isn't. It's a book about God revealing his redemptive plan to redeem the world. Everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus, the Bible teaches us. So if we're only seeing the gospel, we're only seeing Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're missing it. He's all over the pages of all of scripture. Uh, To give an example, uh, this is one that I like to use to explain this point. Uh, Think about the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Generally, the way that we think about that passage when we read it is we look at David and he's going up against this massive giant and we immediately allegorize and put ourselves in David's sandals and we think to ourselves, you know, I got giants in my life too. I got these big obstacles, these big hurdles, these big things that are in front of me, but uh, with God's help, you know, I can, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, quoting from Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter four. But as good as that might be, and as many sermons as have been preached with that angle, I think that's actually not the best way to see that passage. Uh, in actuality, uh, when you read that story, What you have is a group of Israelite soldiers who were incapable for 40 days of going out into hand-to-hand combat against Goliath. They could not defeat the enemy. There was one figure though, who with the power of God went out and defeated the giant. And when he defeated the giant, the previously inept armies of Israel ran down the hill and they pursued the Philistines. They ran in the borrowed victory of David. It's quite obviously a pointing to Jesus. You know, Jesus took on a foe that none of us could defeat in and of ourselves. He took on sin and death and the devil. None of us could obey the law. None of us were righteous. None of us were capable. We'd been tested. We'd fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came, he won the victory for us, and now we're running in the borrowed victory of Jesus. Now, I'm a pastor who's been thinking about the Bible from this angle for a long time. So if you today are like, oh man, that was awesome. I never have a chance to do that. You could just over time think about, okay, how does this maybe point to Jesus? See the Bible through the lens of the cross. And then lastly, I would just say this, just start. (laughs) Step out and begin reading the Bible, get moving. You know, a long journey and a life of Bible reading is a very long journey. It takes a first step. Um, Don't be paralyzed. Um, You might remember in The Hobbit, uh, Bilbo took a long time before he would finally leave the Shire. And I'd encourage you to get out of your little Hobbit hole and to say, you know what, I can do this. I can go on this journey with God. I can partake of his word. There's gonna be confusing days, there's gonna be discouraging days, but there's also gonna be magnificent things that I've never seen before, that if I just don't go, I'll never get to witness. You know, in the Old Testament, when God wrote the law, he said to the people of Israel, if a day comes where you have a king, when he's installed as king, his first act as king is that he needs to take the entire Bible and he needs to copy it by hand so that for the rest of his life, he will read from the Bible that he hand copied. He'll read from that scroll. The idea being, how can he be a good king if the word is not flowing through his blood? And how can we expect to live the human life as God designed it if The word is not part of our lives. So let's be people of the word, not just this year, but in every year to come. And as your pastor, I just wanna come alongside of you and just help you in this endeavor. None of us will do it perfectly, but let's go on a journey together of being Bible people. Amen. Thank you for listening.